We're starting a new series today called Signs of Jesus. We're going to be looking at this for about eight weeks. Signs of Jesus, uh, and next week you can see that we're going to, this week is over a crisis, next week is over healing. We're going to look at some elements out of the Gospel of John where we're going to be trying to look specifically at getting to know Jesus, who he is, what he's capable of, what he has planned for us. Basically, a, a, a format, format for us in which to build our life upon. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John if you'd like to be a part of that. As I was getting started on this study this week on, the, on, the, on areas of sign, I read this story in Chicago. Uh, there was a, a small community outside of Chicago called Oak Lawn. And it became kind of notorious for or famous for having the people have decided not to use stop signs as stop signs, but as slowdown signs. Some of you do that now, probably. <laughs> but they, it happened so much that the mayor came up with a real creative idea. So below every stop sign, he would put a smaller sign, and he made different ones. There were like 50 different stop signs in the community. And so he made some smaller ones that went below it, and it says stop and then smell the roses. So that kind of got their attention. The second says stop. No, really, you've got to stop. And then third, when he said, stop, or I'm going to tell your mom, stop in the name of love. He put that one on there. And it actually was working. And people, it paid attention to it. They got a laugh out of it. But it drew attention to the sign until the Illinois Department of Transportation said that's not legal, had to take it down. But it's a great idea. And it worked. It's signs. Signs give us some information. They give us direction. And if you think about it, they give us quite a lot of protection in what it does for us. That's why we're doing this series on the signs of Jesus. We're looking for information, direction, and protection as we regulate our life by what he shows us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fourth one, John, is called the non-synoptic, or the first three are called synoptic Gospels, and synoptic simply means look-alike. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all follow similar stories and similar pattern. John does not, and so we're going to be looking at, at John's. And John is very unique in that he was writing to a specifically Greek audience, not specifically Jewish, but Greek audience. And that, that'll put some things into your mind what they were like. We know about the Greek philosophers. You've heard, you've heard of uh, Plato, the Platonic concept. You've heard of Aristotle. You've heard all of these names that came from Greek thinking. And they were philosophers and they were looking for a lot of different reasons. But their primary question was... They could see that there was a, there is order to creation. They could see that nature had a plan or a purpose or a direction. And so the philosophers were trying to find the reason behind creation. What made this happen? What knowledge was behind this? What power was behind this? What knowledge was behind this or intellect? They were looking for who caused this order? They came up with a word for it that they were looking for. They had created the word. And the word they created is logos. L-O-G-O-S. This thing behind creation 
they named as Logos. They were trying to find what is this thing behind it. So uh, as much as the Greek philosophers gave themselves to this, all of this study, they never found it. They kept pursuing it, had all kinds of theories, but they were never, never able to solid, get a solid answer to it. And that's where John wrote his gospel to that Greek culture that had that kind of a mindset of trying to figure out what was behind creation. And so is into that culture, into this logos, that John wrote this passage that we're going to be looking today. So turn with me to John chapter 1, please. And we're going to look just at the first five verses initially, and then we'll jump down just a bit. In the beginning was the Logos. By the way, English translates Logos into word. In the beginning was Logos. So he's speaking to the Greeks, and it got their attention. Okay, you're telling us you know something we haven't figured out. In the beginning was Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and in that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. I want to talk about some of those things just a bit. In that Logos, we're looking at, it says, all things were created. Notice he gave him a personality. It was created through him. It is a person. He is a conduit of creation. It says nothing was created that did not go through him. So he is the conduit of creation. Life, he said in him was life. Everything that we know that is alive, it's able to have breath, it has the ability of reproduction, has the ability of creation or activity. Everything that's related to life was him. And then he says that this light, life, was the light of men. And the word there is phos or light. And it simply means this, that which dispels darkness. In this life was a life, light that dispelled darkness or uh, an inability to understand. He was in the world, Logos was in the world, and the world was created through him. Yet, it says, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, the Jews were selected, and his own people did not receive him. I'm now down in verse 10 through 14. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become very significant here to the Greeks and to us, the children of God. Those that believe in his name who were born not of blood, that's very significant. It's not your breed. It's not your clan. It's not your race. He says you weren't born of blood nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, you can't make a decision and a choice to about, about being this child of God. You can't uh, make a, a, a decree one day that I'm now a Christian, that's not possible. He says, it's not because a man made decision. He says, but it's of God. The right to become God's child is by his will and by his provision alone. You had nothing to do with it other than find out you were broken without it. 
And then the Spirit of God began to draw you to Himself. It's all of Him. He did all of this work. In case we ever get to thinking, it's something about us. Notice the word, Logos, became flesh. This is a very significant picture in this passage. The word flesh is the word sarks in the original language. And when you look up the definition of sarks, it's called temple or tabernacle. You know, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, they went with the tabernacle and it's made up of tents. The worship center was tents. And so it says God took up a tent or put on a flesh suit like us in human form and dwelt among us. He tabernacled in flesh among us. I think that's kind of interesting. And it says we observed his glory. Have you ever stopped to think about it? When the Lord was on this earth, think about everywhere he went. What, what happened when the Lord would walk into a situation? Just name some things. What would happen when the Lord Jesus walked into any environment? Healing. People got healed. Blind could see. The lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The dead would live. So it, the glory of God shone through the flesh of this of this when the Lord took on human flesh and it says everybody beheld the glory. Just imagine when he, when he, everywhere he went in my mind, he just brought life. Everywhere he went, a darkness had to flee and truth became very evident just in his person when he walked into the room. And by the way, I believe you are supposed to be that way as well. If we're followers of Christ, ambassadors of God's kingdom, we have been forgiven at the foot of the cross by the blood of the Lamb. You have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When we walk into a room, there should be a presence in the power of God that, that dispels darkness, that brings life. I don't know what that means. or Your mouths are open. It's weird. I'm just saying that's exactly what we are supposed to do, to be that. Now, I think a lot of times we've been taught that we're not capable, and I'm going to talk about, the Lord goes on to talk about this in just a moment. Now jump over to chapter 2. I just wanted to do that as a background to this study. Now chapter 2 of John. You will know this story. It's a very famous. Matter of fact, it's the first miracle of Jesus, recorded miracle of Jesus. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in, in Galilee, Jesus' mother who was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus said, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Kind of a significant, interesting line. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, we're not talking a little pitcher here. We're talking probably a pot this big, this tall, and about that big around. So we're talking a pretty massive, and there were six of those jars basically used. They'd pull water out and wash the feet of the guests, wash the hands of the guests, which was just common uh, as you walk the dirt 
in the sandals and such that you would go through a ritual cleansing, but actual uh, just to clean your hands and your feet before you went into the party. So that was put out there for them to uh, use. But he says, when, when they came into the situation, I want to look at the first sign right here. If you're making notes, here's the first sign of Jesus. When you don't have enough. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, simply, they have no wine. We read that and we, that doesn't hit us on an emotional level. But let me tell you what it means. It's the, one of the largest humiliations that a family could have. Because you don't have weddings often unless you have 10, 15 girls, then you're going to have several weddings. But you're, a family would not have a, a wedding that often. And it, for many, it took many, many years to save up enough money for that party, for that wedding celebration. We do, and it's expensive. Uh, Vicki and I had one daughter. I'd love to have a hundred, but I'd hate to pay for that many weddings. But we do a lot, and we'll do a wedding, and then we'll do a, an event after where you either have snacks or full dinner. You know, sometimes it can be huge deals. And we think that's big, but in this day, it was a lot different. It was seven days of celebration around a wedding, seven days. And that those parents were expected to provide food, snacks, drinks for, that in, for almost an entire community during those seven days. You're talking about a very significant expenditure. And when, if you ran out in the earlier part of it, you would be humiliated. There would be the sense that... Uh, Instead of having a, instead of it being a time of great honor, it would move in a great humiliation. Instead of it being uh, extravagant for your family, it would show need. And in this situation is when Jesus came into the story. He came to the wedding. Um, I think it's significant that his first miracle and that his first known attendance at an event is a wedding. This fall, I'm going to do a series called Covenant. And I want you to be here because I'm, I'm going to talk about the significance of covenant from an Old Testament perspective and a New Testament perspective. That the God that we serve is a covenant God. And unless you know him this way, you don't know him at all. And this fall, I'm going to talk very in depth about covenant and how it works and much of it will be based off of a wedding image, the wedding ceremony. So I want you to come be a part of that. But notice, this, he made it very significant by being here for his first, his first creation or for his miracle. <clears throat> I want you to observe the honor which Christ put upon this first miracle. He knew the need. He probably knew the family. Because it says Mary was there and then Jesus and his disciples were invited to join him. So he came into that environment and he was not, prob I shouldn't say that because God knows everything. But he came to the, the party not with the intention of uh, revealing that he was the Messiah at this particular point. That's why when Mary asked him, would you do this for them? He said, it's not my time. But he did that in honor of the family and of, of marriage. I thought it was very important. But when you don't have enough, I want you to pay attention that 
God, this logos behind creation, everything in creation submits to his will, submits to his power. Everything, if you remember, he's the logos behind everything that we know, everything of creation. This creation still submits to his power and to his will. In this picture, he took plain water and turned six pots into the finest of wine. We've seen him do that other times. Remember in several times in Matthew, Matthew 14, remember he took, some fish and bread, the elements, and whatever he did, it, it, uh, he multiplied it to feed something like 5,000 men, which could have been 10,000, 15,000 people. He took those little elements, and it's, his power behind creation is so much that it mean, this stuff really means very little to him because he can turn it in an instant to meet a need when there is a lack. Remember when uh, the guys were out on the boat and in the storm and they saw Jesus walking in water? Can you imagine that the, the water creation, which if we step on, we just sink into, under his feet, solidified to each step. He brought every component element together so that when he stepped, he was on top. It, was, it had to be solid for him. Why? Because he's God. Everything is created through him. Everything obeys him. Remember, when he walked by a fig tree on his way to Jerusalem one day, he spoke a word. Remember, that fig tree withered because it had the appearance of having life but didn't produce fruit. By his word, the thing died. Remember, when he woke up in the boat and the storm was going crazy, remember what he said? Peace, be still. The wind and the waves immediately went calm. Do you understand this logos behind the cosmos is Jesus? And by his word and by his will, things are accomplished. We limit him because we're stuck in this creation, in the, in the creation of the cosmos. But I need you to understand, our God is not stuck in the creation of the cosmos. God is capable at any moment, at any time, to meet the deepest need of a person's life. He is there to do it. My question is, what have you given up on? Because there was not enough. What have you stopped pursuing for the things of God? Because you, you've got the message loud and clear. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not whatever. You're not enough. Well, you got a message and then you begin to back up and stop moving. What is it? is the need that stopped you to be significant in the Lord's kingdom. What calling, this gets a little painful, what calling has God put on your heart that you've been away from or running from for quite a while because you feel like there's too much need in you to ever have that accomplished? I believe that if you bring what you have, bring your common, like water, to the Lord and put it in his pot and then let him do his work. Bring what is common and ineffective and needy from your perspective and you put it into 
the pot, the water pot, the container that the Lord is planning to use, a ministry, a church, uh, whatever. You put yourself in that, although you don't feel worthy or able or confident. You say, Lord, here's my common, and I'm going to ask you to use it, and he turns it into that which is very significant. But first, we've got to be faithful in bringing the common. I've got to bring my common. When I don't even feel like it, I have to say, Lord, here, I, here am I. Use me. When you don't have enough, bring what you have to Jesus. Second thing, quickly, when you don't know what to do, follow what Mary said, Jesus' mother. Remember in that story, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. When our ability and our knowledge fails, what do you do? Go to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. The, Lord, the scripture says, ask for wisdom and then believe and don't doubt that the Spirit of God will give you the wisdom in the decision. I'm not making it up. This is what God's word promises to us. We pray this in every leadership meeting in this church. Every team that's meeting, we'll meet and say, Lord, we're not, we're not God. We don't know what is next. We don't know where to go. We're asking you for divine wisdom that goes beyond what we can figure out. Lord, show us what you're wanting to do. And we believe that he does that. You see, when we are in need, it's God's opportunity to show himself strong. It's when we're in need, like the, like the water at the wedding. That was the point where Jesus did, does what he does. And everybody had to be amazed by what he did. Whatever he tells you to do, when, when you get that doctor's report, and I'm, probably many of us in here have gotten that doctor's report, what are you going to do? Well, the word says, call the elders of the church to anoint with oil and pray. Pray in the name of the Lord over the sick person. And it goes on to say, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. I wish he had written that a little differently, where it wasn't so specific. But it is. You see it? Will make the sick person well. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Okay, you're in a challenging marriage. What are you going to do? Well, the word says love never fails. And it's faith, hope, and patience never give up. So I encourage you, love. If you are single with a massive desire for marriage, I would say the scripture says, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Because I have to believe he's put those desires in there when you're pursuing him. Trust him in this. If you have a lack of finances, what do we do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What did he say I'll do? I'll add everything else you need. I'll add everything else you need. What do you do if you're in spiritual attack? The scripture says you put on the belt of truth. You take up your shield of faith and you take up the sword of the spirit and you, when you've done all you can do to stand in the middle of the fight, I've been there sometimes and went and cried in Mike's office, my pastor over here, uh, what do I do, Mike, in the midst of this battle? How do I fight this? And all he could tell me was just stand, like, the, like Paul said, just stand. 
So we have those two things. Let's add the third and we'll be ready to close. When, when your common becomes great value, when your common becomes great value. When you don't have enough, when you don't know what to do, and when your common becomes great value. Verses seven through 10, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. And he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. That would be like our wedding coordinators of today. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had become wine and did not know how it or where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone, all the weddings I do, the people serve the good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, that means they got tipsy, then the poor wine is served when they can't tell. But I like this line. But you have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. Bring what you've got. Put it in the pot. Let Jesus do his work. Jesus turned common vessels into containers of something very valuable. I looked up wine prices as I was studying this. And to do, if it was 20, 30 gallons of wine and of the highest quality, in today's value, $40,000. $40,000 worth of wine was given by the Lord Jesus just to take a... a family that was about to get in humiliation to be able to bring honor. I thought that's kind of significant that he would do such a great thing. So often, we feel incapable, unworthy, not talented. We have no confidence in ourselves. All we have is this sense of... Uh, we may fill a pot and there's no real power in it. There's no real life in it because I have nothing to bring. Well, the enemy makes sure you've been taught that. He gets this there from the very beginning. He beats us into that concept. I would like to say to you that that is what stifles the church around the world. I'm gonna say it again. The thing that stifles the church, Hamlin, and the church around the world is that it's full of people that are unwilling to put, get themselves in the pot because they don't feel valuable enough. And all I'm saying to you is, get yourself into what God is doing and just trust that he will take your common and make it very valuable to the kingdom. Maybe the person that hands you the bulletin. Maybe the person you didn't see all week that was cleaning the toilets. And maybe the the person that taught a Sunday school or maybe a singer on a stage, whatever. There's so many different places in the body of Christ, so unlimited that what if all of those are numb and non-functioning because we just don't think we have anything? Jesus said, fill up that pot with water. Fill up that pot with common. You're common. And then let God do what he's gonna do. You see, Wine has life in it, has effervescence, it has bubbly in it. And he took that which is plain and made it powerful. Matter of fact, you put new wine in an old wineskin, you know why they tell you to not do that in Scripture? Because it has so much effervescence in it, it blows that old wineskin up. 
because it has that power behind it. It's kind of the picture of the Spirit. I'm convinced that if we did nothing more than in this particular step of faith in our church, it would surge in strength. It would surge in effectiveness. Like last week, when the, and it was happening today. I hope you sensed it. The presence of the Lord was strong. It's getting stronger. Every, I didn't get to preach last week. And y'all said amen. Didn't get to preach just because the, the work of the Spirit. And man, it was moving strong. The Spirit is here today. Here's what I just want you to know. If we did nothing more than to say, Lord, here am I in my commonness. Use me. He will. And he doesn't give you a, a half a glass of wine. He gave them 30, 40, 60 gallons of the best wine. He's extravagant in his giving. When you say unlimited grace, we, the, again, the word goes over our head. It's unlimited grace. The power of our God is unlimited. If we trust him enough. That's why I want to go back to say to you, Vicki, come on up. He is the Logos, the word, behind the cosmos. He, Jesus, it's all about him. All of life, if you can catch it now, you'd be ahead of most of the world. All of life is about him as the creator of it all. And he can take water, turn it to wine. He can take water, make it hard to walk on. He can take a, a bad eye and put mud over it, spit and put mud over it, and say, wash it off, and it's healed. And we believe that as in yesterday. We just don't believe that as in today. But the God I know, if I understand his word right, he's the same yesterday. Yes? Is he the same today? And he says, I'm the same forever. Who's limited him? God? Or us. Maybe it's time for the church of the living God to stop limiting this God that we serve and start serving him with our commonness and let him touch it with what he does. Make it come alive. I know that God's spoken to some people here today. I know it. I don't know you individually or the situation, but I know that God has spoken to some of you that have already uh, Put it up on the shelf because the enemy told you you're too old. Stop. Just give up. Let somebody else do it. It's time for those youngins to take over. I'm telling you, it's not time for them to take over until God takes you home. We need you to teach, to lead, to serve. You may be saying, I'm too young. They can't use me. Wrong. If you're breathing and you're common, get in the pot and let God do what he's going to do. The Lord is, has a plan for a church and it's not it's not common. I'm going to say it again. God's plan for the church is not common. It's when he takes the common and makes it supernatural by his power. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord this question. Lord, what are you saying to me? Where have I stopped? Where have I quit? Where have I shut down? Where have I given up on what you've called me to do and be? Then go back and ask why. 
What was the reason? What was the excuse? I would just say, get in the pot and let the Spirit of God bring life to you, value to you. He's our only value, guys. You know that, right? Him in us is the hope of glory. God is moving to transform the church from the common to the church of new wine. His power and His presence that leads to celebration in people's lives. I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to have some people here who are ready to pray with you, pray for you. But if you've been in the common and you're not been used and you're saying, Lord, here am I, send me, I'd make an altar before God today. If you're away from the Lord and you've been, you don't know him, you're lost. I'll tell you, he is the logos behind the cosmos. He is the reason behind all the things you've been trying to figure out. His invitation to you is today, come to me. All you that are laboring and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am meek and lowly of heart. The Lord has a plan for you. It's not to kill you, it's to give you life. Turn you from water to wine. Lord Jesus, speak today through the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to individual hearts, starting with me. Lord, that we might say yes to whatever you lead us to do. Have your will. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand? Altars are open if you'd like to come.